Okay, we are at case number two. This is a case of Crystal Mitchell. And unfortunately, we don't have mom because she's got a cold. And so we can't do any mom sayings. And we're having to do it remotely like we discussed in episode one because, um, you know, life took unexpected twists and turns and we were not able to record in person. But hopefully the sound is sufficient. I think we'll have uh, a great case in this next one and some useful tips. But go ahead and introduce yourself. I'll introduce myself, and then I've got some exciting news. Oh. Well, I'm Elena. And I'm Sherry. And oh, I am. Sorry. I was just about to say I'm the little sister as you pulled a big sister move. <laughs> well, normally you say I'm Elena, and then I move on. <laughs> I always have something else to say. But being a little sister, I don't get to say anything between you and mom. And being older, I must have forgotten that you always have something to say after. (laughs) Now, um, here's the exciting news. By the time people hear these episodes, our t-shirts for sure will be live on the website. So, um, the good news is, and let me show you, I got this idea from one of my clients and um, he suggested that we work with, uh, it's my Dragon Man clients, and he wanted to do other t-shirts besides the year, you know, t-shirts we have each year. And uh, let me move this down. And so I found a company that does print on demand and I was going to originally start with our one t-shirt, which is our tagline, be smart, be rude, and don't be a victim. But the way it's set up, I was actually able to get four shirts developed. So we'll have the be smart, be rude, don't be a victim, which is what we're wearing now. And it's very soft fabric. It's wonderful. And then I was able to create the mannequin t-shirt. What does that say? Uh, Let me pull it up mannequin it's like a it's like a dictionary entry what everyone thinks it is when they see a dead body and the reason i put that on there is because it's they always think it's a mannequin and anytime we're doing a case i'm like it's never a mannequin ever (laughs) so i decided to make a t-shirt just like that last one they thought it was a doll exactly and you know the brain doesn't expect to see a dead body and then I did basically a detective in the pink and in the gray. So um, $25, $5 shipping, flat rate. Yeah. And this supports um, the show. The podcast. And by the way, was that the website? Yeah, that's our website. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you telling me that you. I didn't know. Huh? So you, you've not seen our website? Not the new one. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. Update. I didn't know that a great fund. Yeah. I added Come our on, new people. pictures. And um, I love. Yeah. And then I added them. Um, so our website is outlineofamurder.com or outlineofamurder podcast. And so we had our pictures redone, um, what, August, I think. And, um, and so I added those new ones to our website. And uh, now, um, 
Our merch, of course, will be at the top. We're going to have some stickers as well. But yeah, I think our pictures turned out wonderful and um, look really we good. We have the perfect glares in that other picture. Like we were talking about in the last episode. If you want to see what unapproachable looks like, just go to our website. <laughs> it's right there. Or, or Especially mom. Nail it. She looks like so disapproving. Like we're like, don't approach me. And she's like, not only don't approach me, but I actually don't <laughs> approve of you. So just <laughs> <laughs> and my sister is so beautiful. You'll have to go check it out. Um Oh but- yeah, let me encourage that. <laughs> um my sister is beautiful as well. And then we'll have a new, I've got a new um, graphic for our podcast developed as well. So that will be going live soon. And by the way, for our listeners, before we get started on the podcast uh, itself uh, or the case itself, I did a Facebook live recently on um, the topic of it was no shortcuts. I did three cases where the victims took shortcuts and ended up dead. And uh, so that's a bonus episode on our podcast and um, I'll probably do more live Facebook lives. So make sure you uh, follow us on Facebook at Outline of a Murder. Instagram is the same. And uh, it was very interesting. And so I'll, I'll grab the audio of that and get it uploaded um, probably before these episodes drop. So by the time you hear this, hopefully you've already listened to that case. There's some really good safety information in there as well. All right. So without further ado, let's start this case. And um, and in fact, I need to bring up the podcast on this. Uh, this case is a little bit different um, while I'm bringing up the podcast. Oh, it's updating my library, of course. Like I want it to update my library in the middle of our podcast here. But um, this one is an unusual in the fact that there were no red flags whatsoever. And the reason there were no flags is because there was not enough time for there to be red flags. And uh, I first heard this on Anatomy of Murder uh, podcast. It's a phenomenal podcast. And the episode is called The Snake. So I'm, I'm looking here on this, trying to get it pulled up. It is um, from 9... Oop, I must have missed it. From September 6, 2022, Anatomy of a Murder. Great, great podcast where I found it. Let's hear a snippet of the podcast uh, directly from the mother of the victim, and then I'll get into uh, the case. For this case, we spoke with Josephine Wenzel about her daughter, Crystal Mitchell. There was one thing that she did that really stood out for me that, you know, I knew her heart when she was a young girl in high school. She came home one day and she said, Mom, can you take me to the store? And she went and emptied out her piggy bank. And she said, there's a girl that comes to school and she doesn't join in gym because she doesn't have tennis shoes and I'd like to buy her one. So she found out what size she was and she went out and purchased shoes for her and put it in her locker with a note saying, this is for you. So I wanted to play that. Now, were you able to hear it? Oh, yeah. And uh, murders pissed me off. <laughs> okay. Well, murderers or murders? Murderers. Yes. 
Yeah. I mean, they often take good human beings um, out of this world anyway. Yes. And, and that, you know, what, again, like we were talking about the last, in the last episode of being unapproachable, the reason, and, and, and I'm not blaming the victims, but the reason we do this podcast is the majority of the time, the victims are kind hearted people. They don't mm-hmm. think, um, the way me and you do, <laughs> obviously mom, I don't know if it's genetics, Um, but they see the goodness in people and I, you have to prove to me that you're good and kind. (laughs) I don't take your word for it. And so, um, that's, that's why we do this podcast, especially for those of us or those that are listening that are the good and the kind. And Crystal was, I mean, she went on to describe her. She said that she loved animals you know, she was very giving from a young age, like we just heard. Uh, when, you know, whenever she found out someone was, um, you know, lacking something they needed or, you know, their family was poor, she would always want to help, always want to, um, you know, get the things that they needed. She was also, her mom said, an ultimate perfectionist. So, I mean, if it wasn't going to be her best, she was not interested in doing it at all. And uh, one time her mom said she made a B plus and her entire world imploded. I mean, she was so upset that she made a B plus. So, you know, you can just kind of. Real <laughs> Now, I was a straight A student and I remember like B pluses didn't bother me. But when I got my first C, like it's still traumatic. It was like my first and only C, and I was so traumatized. It was geometry. I hated geometry. I can't think abstractly. Give me yeah. some algebra, guys. I love algebra. I was I disliked school so much that my goal was just to graduate. <laughs> <laughs> so I frequented the the C bus. I frequented the C bus. <laughs> It ain't school bus, guys. It's C bus. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I don't care. Um, <laughs> so she's very smart. Her mom said that she bought her first house with her own money by the age of 21. Yeah. When I was 21, now I had a kid at the time. I'm just trying to make sure supper's cooked and the kid's not dying. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just trying to keep my head above water. <laughs> and uh, and she... To stay alive. And then... She kind of gets my heart too that she loved cars. So her mom said she had so many cars. Like she would drive a Jeep and then she'd see a car. She liked, well, I want that one. So she'd trade in that car, get the other car. Then she'd see another one she liked. So she'd trade in the current car to get that car. She just went through cars. It sounds like she went through socks. I mean, she just loved vehicles. What was her profession? Well, at the time, um, I don't know. I know her mother said she couldn't keep track of her cars. But at the time of her murder, she was like a property manager at a, an apartment wow. building. So I don't know what she did because um, she, she at the time of her death, she had been married once and uh, she was divorced. Her and her ex-husband had a boy and a daughter. They were about a year apart. 
What's sad is that her ex-husband was a war vet, and so he had PTSD. And so when he came back um, from Iraq, he was a totally different person. So it didn't work out. It changed things too much. And so she moved from Washington State, where she lived, um, like her mom lived in Washington State as well, which her mom actually is not from America. I'm trying to, I think I have it in my notes where she's from, so we'll get to that. Um I think it was somewhere in uh, South or Central America, but she moved to Arizona for, for a fresh start after the divorce. And her mother, I mean, her and her mother were very, very close. And uh, so what would happen is they texted every day. Um, they might have talked on the phone just as much. I mean, they were very close. And then her mom would visit her every three months and she would stay about a, you know, a week to two weeks. And she also said in the podcast that she wanted to give her daughter a break, you know, being a single mom, working hard. So she would watch the kids and it'd give Crystal a little bit of downtime and she'd get to, you know, maybe sleep some more, maybe hang out with some friends. And I love that because, you know, my, my goal is to go see my kids every quarter, just like this mom did, you know. So it was really neat. Um, she was a great mom, she said, but, you know, being single could be tough. She, uh, like I said, was employed as a property manager at an apartment building, and she was very happy with her work, and she was very happy with her life. So one day, an applicant um, trying to get an apartment there named Raymond R.J. McLeod, he's a former Marine, which, you know, my heart for Marine, or the Marine Corps, because, you know, my dad was a Marine. Um, so he's a former Marine. He puts in his application for an apartment at her office. Now, I, wanted, I want to um, go into the brain thing again, which we talked about in the last episode. So here you have Crystal, who has been divorced once from a military man. Now you have this man coming in who is former Marine, former military, and he puts in an application. And we talked about the brain and how it will latch onto what is familiar. And so I don't know if that was the case here, but I find it very interesting that another military man shows up in her life she was interested, but not at first. And here's where the red flag is. Go ahead. When did when did um, she get divorced? I don't Do know? know. I couldn't find any of the dates. I, I tried to find okay. out. I'm okay. assuming it wasn't too long that she moved to Arizona. You know, sometimes you want to get, you know, a, a fresh start. And it sounds like that's exactly why she moved. So I'm assuming it wasn't too long after the divorce. Um, he did get approved. Uh, for the the apartment and he would often go into the office where she worked just to see her and he would stare at her so again be a jerk yes cut that off yes i mean to me it's a little bit creepy and it sounds like it was kind of creepy to her too because she told her mom about it um i mean i'm sorry it didn't seem to creep her out she told her mom about it And she observed him over time, you know, like with his son, and he seemed very attentive. He seemed like a really good dad. But guys, someone that comes into your office and stares at you, I don't think that's normal. Um, Like if they come by to chit chat, you know, they like you. That to me is a little bit different 
from like, so I can't, I don't, I can't picture the scenario. Like, was he coming in and he's just sitting there staring at her or is he coming in chit-chatting a little bit and then just staring at her because he is admiring her beauty? You know, I, I just can't figure it out, but let me show you a picture of her because that would creep me out, quite frankly. Uh, this is her. Very gorgeous. And then this is her with her little kiddos. Oh. And then this is her with her mom. So, again, very family-oriented. Um, you know, she noticed how well he treated uh, his own children. So that tells me more than likely she's one of those sweethearts, one of those kind-hearted people. And, um, and she did like how, you know, he interacted with his kid. And then what is also interesting is her mom, one of the core values her mom installed in her was um, find someone who cares for his children. So yeah. that is interesting because your core values that can be strengths can also put you in danger. And uh, so be aware of that because, again, it's like if you see someone that's doting on his son and your mom's, you know, like find someone that cares for their kids, you're going to think that means that that person is a good person because of how they interact with their kids when actually that doesn't mean anything at all. Yeah. Um, now, uh, RJ McLeod he grew up in Scottsdale, Arizona, and he joined the Marines. He got married. He had a child. He was divorced, too. So now you have that common ground. It's a, a rapport builder that happens. It doesn't matter who it is. If there's any commonality, you're going to feel a connection. They hit it off. She did agree to go on a date. I don't know the timeline, but I do know that they were barely dating. So I don't even know if they were exclusive at the time of the crime, uh, it sounds like something that was just getting started. So Josephine, um, the mother, said that her daughter told her that McLeod wanted to make them exclusive immediately, but Crystal was a little more gun shy, and so she was wanting to go slower. That is a red flag. Yeah, it also sounds like maybe she had a feeling in her gut. Maybe, or maybe she was just being super slow and cautious because of her divorce. You, you know, you don't know, but. Or even both. Um, from what I could tell, it didn't seem like she was creeped out with them. But we have seen over and over from season one that one of the huge red flags is one of the persons wanting to go super fast in the relationship. Yep. Okay. I, uh, yep. Okay. Um, now I wish, okay. So when he applied for the apartment, um, he only had to do a credit check. I wish they would have done a background check because she would have seen that he was in some legal trouble, which we'll get to in a second. Now. And can I just say about a background check? They're actually easy and inexpensive to do. Just FYI. I, to me, there's no reason not to do one nowadays. You know what I mean? Like, you can do it online. They're inexpensive. I think if you're, especially if you're going to do what Crystal did, and that is go on a trip with this guy. And, and yes, and that to me is a huge no-no. Um, again, it's early in the relationship, 
and she invited him on a trip to San Diego. Yeah, and it's unfortunate that that's a recommendation. But again, nowadays, especially, especially if something feels off or you have a gut feeling, I mean, you can't dismiss your gut. You just can't. They're pretty spot on. I would suggest that you do a background check before you go on a trip. I don't know. Agreed. You know. Especially if you don't know. Yeah. Uh, now, San Diego is where Crystal had some friends. So it sounds like she would go there and visit every once in a while. Uh, and her dream was uh, eventually to move to San Diego. Is about five hours away. And so she invited him to go along with her. Josephine, her mom, had the kids for the summer uh, so that Crystal could have a break and she wouldn't have to pay for daycare. And so she was excited about the trip, but there were some disturbing things that were occurring. So Josephine said that Crystal had was having dreams about her death. And she told her mom that she was going to die young before her mom. Josephine told her, no, that's not normal to die young or to die before your parents. Um, Josephine really didn't want to discuss these dreams, um, but they became more frequent and specific. So she called her one morning telling, telling her that she'd had a dream that she had died and she had gone to heaven and she didn't know how to explain it. And she didn't have mental issues. This wasn't any type of you know delusion or anything like that. Um, she told her heaven is beautiful and that she saw Jesus. And he asked her that if he sent her back to earth, would she do exactly what he told her? Also, her dreams weren't just about like random deaths. Um, in her dreams, she was murdered. And in her dreams, there was a snake chasing her. And what's also interesting is that the dreams started when she started dating McLeod. So let me get the podcast to minute 14 and let's um, listen to a little bit of this. While you're doing that, say a little bit about dreams. I mean, obviously we're believers and, um, you know, the Bible does speak about dreams, God speaking to um, people through dreams. So um, super important. They can certainly warn you. They are important. And, you know, like you said, we are believers in Jesus. And but even people that don't know him, he gives dreams to like if you look in the Bible, he gave dreams to Nebuchadnezzar. He gave dreams to Pharaoh. He gave dreams to people that had no idea he even existed. And I, I think one of my pet peeves in the Christian community is taking a dream that's a warning as a fact. So, you know, when he gives you dreams and their warnings, that's to try to prevent something from happening uh, or to give you the answer before you go through whatever you're about to go through. They're not like, hey, this is going to happen to you and it's in stone. And so with her, it sounds like she took these dreams as fact that she was going to die when I wish she would have asked, why am I having these dreams? Like, don't finish God's sentences. Why am I having these dreams? And then allow him to reveal to her, they started once you started dating McLeod and you need to get away. Like, that's what I feel. And not only, you know, I also want to say that not every single dream that you have is from the Lord. Exactly. <laughs> you know? um, 
I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but in my experience, if they continue to happen, they have the same theme or um, you have the same dream or um, there's a significant impression, like you just have that gut feeling, then for me, it probably is from him. Yeah. Yeah. So she's having repeated dreams, repeated theme of the snake. And, uh, and so we'll have her mom tell us a little bit more. I died. I said, what do you mean you died, Crystal? She said, mom, I died. I died. And I said, oh, you mean you had a dream last night? She said, no, mom, in my office, I died. Mom, I died. And I went to heaven. I said, wait, what do you mean you died? I don't, mom, I can't explain to you. I don't know how I died. I died. I asked Josephine, well, was there any issue with your daughter? Was she suffering from any sort of, you know, mental health issues or depression that might make this manifest that way? And she's made it very clear. She said, absolutely no. Like, that is not my daughter at all. Like, she was, like, doing just great. Heaven is so beautiful, Mom. It's so beautiful. It's, it's as bright as the sun, but the light doesn't hurt your eyes. It's so beautiful, Mom. And then her voice changed a notch. Never before have I heard her voice change a notch. Mom, I saw Jesus. And Jesus said, Crystal, if I send you back to earth, would you do exactly as I tell you? She said, yes, Lord, I will. I said, what is that? What, what do you think that is? She says, I don't know. But I'm sure I'll find out. And here's the thing. Those dreams she was having, they weren't just about death. They were specific about being murdered. And they started right around the time that she started dating RJ. She had a dream, and her dream was that a snake as big as a house was chasing her and trying to kill her. And so I told her, hey, you know, well, I'll pray against it. We prayed, and, you know, whatever that was to go away. The next day she called me up. She goes, Mom, remember that dream I had of that snake? And I said, yeah. She said, I had that dream again last night, and the snake's head was cut off, but his body was still alive. He was still trying to kill me. And so we prayed again. And she goes on to say that her daughter was very prophetic, so... For people that maybe, you know, haven't heard of these things or, you know, it's like what you're praying against it. Like, what does that mean? You know, in the Christian faith, the Christian community, um, being prophetic means you're told of things that are coming or um, God will give you, you know, words of knowledge, words of wisdom. And so them coming against it means that they prayed against any plans that the enemy might have had that was being represented as a snake, which we all know that a serpent is what, you know, tempted Adam and Eve. And so you typically think about Satan, the devil. And so it sounds like they were being proactive, but at the same time, it sounds like she was really believing the dreams and that she was going to be murdered. And um, I thought it was also interesting that um, the snake was as big as a house, because let me show you a picture of... McLeod. Let's see here. This is him. So he's really big. He's short and stocky, but he's a muscle builder and, um, or, you know, weight trainer. And, uh, so he was definitely a meathead, I guess you would say. And I don't think attractive at all, but whatever. No. And, Yuck on mm. those types of pictures annoy the crap out of me. <laughs> me too. Uh, so 
you know, they go on this trip 24 hours in, Josephine started feeling uneasy, but she didn't know why. Like it didn't make sense why she was feeling uneasy, but she felt like something was wrong. And she felt super weird. She said like her spirit was half in her body. And, um, and those were her words. And she felt like something was missing. Like she was missing a part of herself. And she even called her friends to pray for her. Like that's how stressful and concerning it was. But she never like connected it to Crystal. She just felt off and that something was missing and something was wrong. So typical, you know, daily conversations with her daughter. She texted her later that day and Crystal didn't respond. And she wasn't too concerned. You know, she's on a trip, um, probably on the beach, you know. So then she tried again later and she didn't get a response. So she texted her, hey, what's going on? So now she's starting to wonder, okay, why is she not responding to me? And then she called her and there was no answer. And so now she knew something was wrong because if she had the kids and she called Crystal, Crystal answered because something might be wrong with the children. And so, you know, when she didn't, she was like, okay, there's, there's something going on. So she then contacted Crystal's friend and I believe her, her name's Diana. And I think it was, I think it was the one she had gone to see, but I'm not sure. I can't, I I wasn't able to tie Diana to being the friend in San Diego or a different friend who maybe she thought had heard from her, but I think it's the one that was in San Diego. Makes sense. And uh, so she told her, you know, she's probably on the beach having a good time. And, um, and, but Josephine knew and she wouldn't stop talking about it. Like she's telling her husband, something's wrong, something's wrong. I know something's wrong. And they're all like, no, it's fine. Well, in the midst of all of this, they get a phone call and it's an area, well, they had missed a phone call from a uh, 619 area code, which is the San Diego area code. And her husband called the number back. And so at this point, Josephine's at a heightened alertness. She's concerned. She's watching her husband closely while he's on the phone. And she heard him say, what morgue is she in? So she started screaming and she said the only thing she wanted to know is if it was quick or, you know, and how. And so they found out that she was strangled. They told her it was quick. I don't think it was. I think that they just told her that for her sake. Um, From the autopsy, cause of death, she was beaten and strangled so violently that her voice box was fractured in three places. She found these details out later. Um, and then she said when she first found out, she kept singing, it is well with my soul over and over. So she immediately went into her, her faith. So, you know, like we don't want to turn this into a religious podcast, but we can say 
that we don't know how people make it through things like this without God. And this is just a perfect example of him being her comfort. And then people could say, well, why did he allow this to happen? He didn't allow it to happen. The earth was given to us to care for. And he's not a person who gives you something and takes it back. And so bad things happen because bad people make bad choices. And so that's what happened here. And plus we see he was warning her of what was happened, what was, you know, going on, that he was a snake. So from what it appears, Crystal and McLeod uh, and the two friends that she had gone to visit were, um, and they were staying with at, in their house, they were hanging out at a bar for a while. And then her two friends left early to put their kids to bed. McLeod and Crystal stayed at the bar. Um, what Crystal didn't know is that McLeod tended to get violent when he drank She also didn't know that he was out on a $50,000 bond for strangling, strangling his second wife. And she survived, but he wouldn't let go and a friend had to intervene. He also had a history of violence. One of one of his ex-wives said that he pushed her once when she was holding their infant son. And she said that he was known to snap. He called her on June 10th, the day after he killed Crystal, and said that he would not be there for his son's birthday. A guy at the bar noticed McLeod and how he was treating Crystal. Uh, Some reports say that he slapped her in the bar. At some point, McLeod gets up, he goes to the restroom, and the man goes over to Crystal and said that she didn't need to put up with that. While he's talking to Crystal, McLeod comes out, he sees the guy talking to Crystal, and starts a physical fight with them. So they had to take it outside. You know, if you've ever been in a bar situation, you know, take it outside. I'm not sure what happened, but eventually McLeod and Crystal left the bar. Now, Josephine said that there is no way Crystal would have put up with that. And that once she saw this side of him, she would have gotten her things at her friends and she would have gotten in her car and she would have gone home without McLeod. And uh, so I'm thinking that's probably what happened, and it escalated his anger. Wait, so, but they left together. I don't know. It sounds like they did, Um, but I wondered the same thing. Um, Like, did she get to the house, and then he followed her, you know, after, or did they go back together, and they were arguing and fighting over the fight? I don't know. I'm thinking probably the latter. Um, What they do think is that she decided to leave and that he uh, stopped her and beat her and strangled her. Um, Now, this is in the guest room of the house. So the next day, and this is what blows my mind because, you know, like, why didn't they hear? Why didn't her friends hear this vicious beating? So it's like, okay, was it a you know, like a two-story house or a three-level house and they were in a different part and they couldn't hear. All I know is that the husband gets up the next morning. He notices the door to the room was still shut and he didn't think much of it. You know, he's like, well, um, maybe they you know are sleeping in. But by 1 p.m., he's getting concerned. So he knocked on the door. He heard nothing. Uh, it was locked. And so he found a way to get in and that's when he discovered Crystal. She was mostly nude, too, so I don't know, um, like, was she changing clothes? 
uh, when they were still fighting or did he assault her? I'm not sure, but he called 911. Um, and I mean, she was tiny, they said, and he was freakishly huge. As I showed you in the picture, um, he was 5'11 and weighed 245 pounds. So that's, that's a lot of muscle. Yeah. yeah I was about saying it. I mean, even to, yeah, you could see his abs. So a lot of muscle. Yeah. He'd be like basically a side of beef. You know who I think of is actually my daughter-in-law's brother. He's shorter and he was a, a bodybuilder, you know, competitor. And I remember giving him a hug at their wedding. It was like slapping what you would think would be, you know, a side of beef. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so when the cops get there, they notice that Crystal's car's missing. And so they immediately, of course, suspect McLeod, uh, I mean, he, they have the fight at the bar. They've got footage of McLeod grabbing Crystal by the throat and pulling her into an elevator around 1.22 a.m. So they get a, an arrest warrant, and here's what the warrant tells us. Their friend's wife said that she heard a woman sobbing, and it sounded like ah or ah, and then silence. The next morning, McLeod greeted the wife as he passed through the kitchen on his way out of the apartment. I guess he needed some rest before he stole her car. So basically, he murders her, and he doesn't leave until the next morning. Uh, wow. Disturbing. Yeah. So very, very cold, disconnected. But here's the thing, a recommendation. If he were that violent before he'd gotten into the elevator and okay. Let's say, you know, you're on a date. This is my recommendation. Let's say you're on a date. Someone gets that violent with you. If at all possible, definitely don't get into the car with them. Yep. Um, Try to get some sort of help. If you are able to get away, um, get into the car. And for some odd reason, he was able to, or she was able to get in the car. And even if he followed her, like go to a police station, just drive to a police station. I agree. That's violence. That's, that's severe. It is. And I think that we often maybe underestimate what we're seeing. Like, we're dismissive. So, she barely knows him. He's obviously a big guy, um, former Marine, uh, you know, but he, he was doting on his son, you know. But you're in this bar, and he's mistreating you, uh, possibly slapped you, and then he gets in a fist fight. The minute a person lays hands on you, you need to activate safety measures. Um, yeah. Or if, like, like, let's say there's alcohol involved and the person starts getting belligerent and aggressive and violent, you need, to, you need to execute your safety measures. And so what that means is that you, you know, like, for example, when she was slapped, the cops need to be called right then. Yep. And then escort her to her friends to get her things and get her on the road. Um or if there's no violence, but the individual is being belligerent and aggressive, call your friends with the spouse 
and have them come get you or follow you back and then stay with you while you get your stuff and then leave. Uh, because that means he would have had to found a way back to, uh, to Arizona and hopefully he would have cooled off. The only thing is, would she have stopped the relationship at that point? I don't know. I mean, we see over and over kind people. They don't. Well, her mom said she wouldn't put up with that. I know, but I've heard parents say that before and their kids ended up dead. So I don't know. It does sound like the relationship wasn't far enough where I could lean toward her not putting up with it anymore. There just needs to be some space for the cool down and have those decisions made. You know what I mean? Have those safety measures made where let's say you're in a similar situation, you've done a background check, you go on a trip and, you know, all of a sudden alcohol makes a person change, right? That's where you need to know at that moment what you're going to do because when you're in this situation, your brain is going to try to dismiss that this is as big of a deal as it is. And so I'm wondering if her being who she was she didn't recognize the danger she was in. I just don't know how she couldn't, though, if he's grabbing her by the throat in the elevator. Maybe she was too scared to get away. Yeah, and I mean, I also want to say, like, it's easy for us to give recommendations looking, or, you know, looking in. Obviously, when you're in that situation, it is difficult to think and plan and um, execute clearly, but hopefully this will give someone some nuggets and it is and that's why we do this podcast because to me if you have your plan in place before whenever you're in that situation the brain will know what to do if that makes sense you know it's like if you have a drinking problem and you know you're going somewhere where there's going to be a lot a lot of alcohol you need to have your drink you need to have your lemonade or your coffee or whatever. If you know that you have an inability to not eat cake, don't go to a place where there's cake. Or if you know there's going to be cake, then bring your own treat. You know, like there's things where if you put them in place, it can help you um, more than not having any plan at all. And no one expects to go on a trip with some dude and get slapped and get manhandled in an elevator, you know, so it's very shocking and surreal. Um, also if you, you know, you had mentioned that you didn't know if she would end it, like if they had gotten back to Arizona and ended it. And I just want to stress, especially to women, um, know your value, know your worth. No one should ever put hands on you ever. That's not okay. Exactly. And people putting their hands on you is a sign of how they don't value you. And that's why what you just said is so important. If you don't value yourself, who will, you know, and we teach people how to treat us. So, uh, all right. Now he, um, also went back to the bar and paid his tab before he left. He then, um, went to the airport. That's where they found Crystal's car. No surveillance showed him though, getting on a plane. So it appears that he dropped the car off, rented a vehicle at the airport, got $10,000 wired to him from his family, and he fled. Because the Mexican border 
is only 40 miles away from San Diego. And, uh, and so, you know, the cops are obviously like, okay, this is our guy, you know, they know it. And, uh, they knew he was running. There was no warrant. No one said he was guilty. Now here's what's cool. Josephine, the mom had been a detective for eight years in Guam before she moved to the United States. Yeah. That's awesome. So six of those eight years, her job was hunting down fugitives. I love that. And uh, she has uh, captured some escaped prisoners that no one knew were even gone. So let me get to those minutes in the podcast and play it. It's an amazing story. <laughs> he messed with the wrong mom. And that's mom. Also, you know, again, being believers, we often see, um, what do you call it? Like just that... Um, I don't know, Sherry, what do you call it? Just those things kind of lining up and being put in place. Yep. It's almost like you're equipped through life and you don't realize you've been equipped for what you're going through until later. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so here we go. Going to find McLeod. The marshal said, you know, Josephine, I don't want to tell you this, but you need to know that people can get lost. The marshals were telling her, listen, you need to coordinate with the local law enforcement, the detectives that are in charge of your daughter's case. You are to communicate directly to the police department. Communicate with your detective. But there is something that you all need to know about Josephine. She was a detective. You messed with the wrong mother. (laughs) Towards the end of my career, I ended up being runner-up to Police Officer of the Year, and that was for capturing four escape murderers that the prison didn't know escape. And, you know, I love this story, Scott, because, again, it's like something you just can't make it up. You know, it is one of those nights that there was a typhoon, you know, as some of us have and some of us, most of us don't coming into Guam. And so just picture what that's like. You know, the streets are just dead quiet. Everyone is trying to make sure that they're somewhere safe. Law enforcement is still out there to make sure that they can help assist people that need to get inside. And that's when Josephine is out there when this happens next. We're in an unmarked car at a traffic light, and the car in front of us ran the red light. Everybody was on the road. The, you know, flood was coming in, rain was happening, everything was falling. I partnered up with someone. He was driving, and I told him, let's pull them over. He says, no, it's typhoon. I said, what are they doing out here? And so when we pulled him over, we walked up to the car, and the driver was a lady. She got out of the car, ran towards our police car, and started talking to my partner. And Josephine thought for a second, why is she doing that? Maybe, perhaps, she doesn't want us to approach the car. Maybe she's trying to just handle it with us and let the car go. I walked up to the car, and there were three grown men sitting in the back, all wearing fatigues. And there was one guy in the front, but he had his back to me. He wasn't showing his face. Until one of the (laughs) men turned around and said something to her that would change this story for the better. And all of a sudden, the guy in the front turned around and said, Josephine, please don't send us back to jail. And I realized it was was Galang, and I realized he just got sentenced to lie for murder. Josephine really showed her savviness here. You know, there wasn't this shootout or anything. And she kind of just, it's like, yeah, let me just head back to my car and kind of left him there. 
And during that time, the power was out. We only had one radio station for the whole entire island, which meant we had to compete with fire, ambulance, and everybody else. And so I told him, I said, well, don't worry about it. You know, it was a really scary situation because, you know, we need to react. You know, they had guns. We would have all been dead probably. But I said, okay, okay. He says, please let us go. We're just going back. We just, we just came out for a little bit. We're going back. We're headed back there. And I said, okay, okay, no problem. Just hang tight. You guys stay in here. Okay, I'll be right back. And I went to the car. I didn't want to alert my partner because, you know, like I said, I didn't know if they were armed or anything. So what I did was I just slid into the car and he saw me lay down on the front seat, pick up a microphone. And I was like, go for it, go for it, you know. And I started calling in. I said, I need assistance. We have uh, escaped prisoners here. Isn't that crazy? So she gets on, like, they obviously capture the prisoner, you know, prisoners. This lady is sharp. I mean, first of all, why is there a car out in the middle of a typhoon? And then why is this chick running to our car? Why is this guy not, you know? And then Miss Josephine, can you not send us back? We're we're, we're going back. We just need it out for a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah, you know. I'll be right back. (laughs) Exactly. So obviously she is awesome and sharp. So she was determined to get McLeod before she died. So she she became the squeaky wheel. She pushed the authorities to put McLeod on the 15 most wanted U.S. Marshals list because the U.S. Marshals, that's what they do. They go to other countries to get fugitives. And so she kept pushing them. She wrote the president, the Pentagon, the attorney general, two lawyers to Congress. After the second letter... They told her to please stop, and they're going to put them on the list. <laughs> so they did, and there was a fifty thousand uh, dollar reward for his capture, which was the highest in the history of the fifteen most wanted on the U.S. Marshals list. So that's great. This guy messed with the wrong mama. She was going to handle yeah. her business. Now this is crazy. She learned how to hunt people down using the internet by attending some training. She pretty much knew that he was in Mexico or Central America. She ran targeted bilingual social media ads and a campaign to encourage people to submit tips, focusing on Mexico and Central America. She placed ads on Univision. Um, and from the, yeah. And this lady, I'm like, she is a bomb. So they received one tip of where he was at, and they saw a video of him dancing with a woman in Guatemala. But by the time the marshals got there, he was already gone. Then other sightings came from like Mexico and Belize. And I didn't know this, but the U.S. Marshals, they have five offices around the world. And so they're able to have boots on the ground and get there because that's what they do is hunt for fugitives. So wherever we have like treaties and extradition agreements, that's where they're usually located. The final tip came from a person who saw the Univision interview of Josephine, who had spammed the article everywhere she could. I mean, it was everywhere. And he recognized McLeod because he taught English at Sunset El Salvador by the name of Jack Donovan. 
the tipster was a student of his and took photos of McLeod teaching his class and interacting with students. So they go to Sunset and they, they got him. He was arrested August 29th, 2022 in uh, El Salvador and extradited back to America. His preliminary hearing was like in January. But let me show you his arrest picture right there. So there he is. And then, oh, that's a <laughs> yeah. And then uh, I'm like, gosh, he's shorter than the criminal. And then this is the U.S. most wanted reward and all of that. And then this is her after they got him. So super exciting. And she is one tough woman for what she's gone through. So um, I got goosebumps. Uh, now, when she heard that he was arrested, she almost didn't believe it. <laughs> she uh, received a text from an officer telling her her and her grandkids were very relieved. The DA says that it was her that got him. Her social media work, all the tips that she passed on to them is what led to McLeod. Josephine said that she had to talk down a woman from shooting a misidentified man in Belize. I mean, that's how involved people were to get this guy. And this lady thought it was him and she was going to shoot him. She's like, no, 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 don't shoot him. Because she wanted the uh, reward money. The lady is like, no, 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 no. We don't need to be killing people for the reward money. Um, yeah, that would be good. <laughs> right. She said that the she would have uh, hunted for him physically herself versus internet, but she had her grandkids, so she couldn't leave them behind. So she formed an organization called Angels of Justice to help other families um, while McLeod was still on the run. So I'd highly recommend um, going to her website. She said that she's very happy that they got, quote, the snake off the streets and that she doesn't have to spend another moment looking at his picture. And so now she's getting ready to fight for her daughter um, in the court. So my final thoughts is... I'm very thankful that um, Crystal showed her mom pictures of McLeod um, through text or Josephine wouldn't have had any idea what he looked like. So I think that's just a good um, personal practice to do is make sure someone knows who you're seeing. And I mean, how many cases or how many times have we heard that someone's dating someone, but we never see them. It's almost like, you know, the beginning stages, you know, people aren't going to send a picture out to just any, you know, of anybody they're dating, but I highly recommend that you do that. Yeah. I think it's more common nowadays. Um, my daughter, she's very strategic in that area. She always makes sure that there's a picture and either a phone number or an address. Yeah, that is smart. That is so smart. And, um, and so I recommend that, you know, because again, you just don't know um, how people are. And um, so, I mean, we got a long list for you. So you definitely need a background check, especially if you're going to go on a trip. And then have that picture, have that address, have that phone number, get it to someone you trust, whether it's a parent or a friend, a sibling even. Uh, the and sec- I have one more. Um, okay. 
I don't know if it's on, well, I think it's only on Apple phones that share your location. Um, our whole family does that. Yeah. And that's Uber. It is. Um, and I know sometimes, you know, kids don't want to do that with their parents. And I get that, but just choose someone else. That's a good point. You know, you may not want your, your parents knowing where you're at, but at least a friend or again, a sibling that you trust. That's a good idea. Uh, and I also, my kiddos, I assured them, like, I don't care where you are. I'm not going to get into your business, but should something occur, that's when it would be used. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So if you're a parent and you want to encourage your kid to do that, just give them that assurance and then keep it. You know, right. Keep your word. Yeah. Don't say, wow, you went to five bars last night. Were you driving drunk? I mean, you know, those are the things that you don't want to do. <laughs> or know that your kid went to a bar and is driving to the next one, then call the cops and let them know where they're at so they get a DUI. Like those are things that will shut down um, that ability to know where your kids are. <laughs> um, do not go on trips with men you barely know. You know, yeah. Yeah. the only red flags showed up when they were on the trip and he was instantly violent and I almost wonder if he had PTSD as well not saying that if you have PTSD that you are instantly violent but just there is something that occurs where there can be a hyper um like vigilance or a hyper emotion or alertness and even anger as well so um, you know, she really didn't know much about him except what he told her and his credit report. That was it. Beware of core values harming you, like we discussed. You know, she liked the way he doted on her son because her mom, you know, said find someone that treats their kids well. Plus, she had her own kids. So it's great advice, but it's not enough on its own. And then, like we discussed earlier, the police should have been called to the bar. I don't know why the yeah. bartender didn't call the cops. I don't know why the attendees didn't call the cops. Maybe people don't want to get involved. But if you see a man slapping a woman, someone needs to call the cops. If you see a man slapping a woman and then picking a fight with another person, someone needs to call the cops. And like we said, at the very least, call your friends and have them help you gather your stuff and get home. Uh, and then if you hear anyone sobbing in the middle of the night, you probably need to go check on them. So not blaming her friends. Again, you don't think your friend's being murdered. But I I would be concerned if I heard someone crying. Like I would, and I've done it before, where I'll go to the door and ask if they're okay. And it was a new relationship. So um, it's okay to just make sure your friend is okay in that situation because you don't know that person. I think people don't want to butt in. They don't want to be that one friend that's being overly cautious. But just like we talked in the last episode where we're not approachable, be overly cautious. That's where the be smart comes in. It's like, you know, if your friend normally doesn't come to your house and sob and then she's dating this new guy, I'm thinking something is up and that would probably probably be a clue to find out what's going on. Now, what could have happened, you know, is they go to the door and they ask, hey, is everything okay? And he forces her to say yes. This is where you need to be rude. This is where it's like, you know what? Open the door. 
I want to make sure she's okay. Like what's going on in there? Like that's where you want to start getting aggressive. And if he won't open the door, you break the door down, you know, if at all possible or call 911. Like it seems like in the cases we deal with, one of the things that occurs is there's delays. You know, it's delays in getting away from the person because they love that person or they dismiss the red flags. Delays in making sure someone's okay delays in calling the police like it just seems like we have a natural tendency to think that nothing bad is happening and again not blaming anyone but what if they had demanded that he opened the door you know what I mean so and I don't you know if they ever hear this podcast I don't want them to feel bad that they didn't do that I'm just you know again our job is to break it down and maybe find some of the areas that could be helpful for people in the future. Um, final recommendation is, um, you know, he wanted to get serious very quickly. That's always a red flag. And so either step back, reevaluate, or just immediately break it off. I mean, to be quite honest, and I if mean, he- most of our cases well, I don't know about most of them, but a lot of the cases that was. I would say most. Flag. I would say most that that was a primary now, deal. Granted, you know, there are individuals that like to move very quickly. It doesn't make them a murderer. Right. <laughs> Possibly. I would have one eye open watching. <laughs> and if you dream that you're getting murdered or a snake is chasing you after you start dating someone. You might want to pay attention to that and break it off. That's for sure. All right. We did it. We have, after weeks of trying to get done, we have recorded a, a whole two episodes. We're not behind at all. <laughs> Outline of a Murder is a Mr. Joseph production. What do you think, Joseph? <laughs> <laughs>